Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Per a Woes report, Gavin, Donovan Mitchell might be available for trade. What would the package be? Do the Knicks have the leverage necessary to pull this off? And would they be good enough for this to all be worth it? We'll talk about all that and more right now on this big, important edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. Whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's Sight, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we are breaking down some rumors today. Big rumor day, not just for the Knicks, but I guess just for the NBA in general. Anytime a, a star name comes up, that always happens. But yesterday, uh, a report breaks from Woj saying that Donovan Mitchell is apparently more available than previously believed that Utah is taking calls on him. I don't think this should come as a surprise to anybody. So I guess, Gavin, that's probably a good part, a good point to, you know, jump off on here. Like, did this surprise you at all? It didn't really surprise me. I kind of figured that Mitchell had to be available because I don't understand why you would make the Gobert trade and then still say you know, with the guys that they got back and everything say, oh yeah, we definitely still think we're going to compete this year. Like Walker Kessler could be great as a rookie, but still isn't even going to come close to replicating what you had with Gobert. And I think they would have been fighting an uphill battle to convince Mitchell that this was an actual contending team. Yeah, Alex, I agree with you. I think part of my slight surprise at this was that I did believe Utah and still do to some extent would be legitimately okay. Holding on to Donovan Mitchell, obviously still has three years left on his deal is still only 25 years old. They could theoretically, if, if they choose to go down this path uh, could repackage all those assets they got from Minnesota and turn them into maybe a a running mate that gives them a higher ceiling uh, with Mitchell than Ruby Gobert did. That being said, you look at Danny Ainge's history as a general manager, and he doesn't really do anything halfway, right? With, with the Celtics, when, when the big three era was over, he, he didn't say, all right, we're going to trade KG and we're going to trade Rondo, but we got to hold on to Paul Pierce for nostalgia. He was like, no, we got to we gotta start over and we got to um, we, we, we have to like completely revamp this team and give ourselves a base for the next great Celtics team. And uh, much to our chagrin, it worked out pretty well for them getting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with those Brooklyn Nets picks. So I think he's trying to do something similar in Utah, trying to uh, give them the best asset base in the NBA this side of Oklahoma City. And you know what? If they can pull off a trade similar to what they got for Gobert, uh, that would be very feasible. But Alex, to me, that is the question. Do they actually have the leverage 
to pull off a trade similar to Rudy Gobert. Even if in a vacuum, Donovan Mitchell is the more valuable player, who would the New York Knicks be competing against that they would elicit that kind of package? I look around the NBA landscape, and I don't necessarily see the team that could push the Knicks to Utah, or rather to Minnesota S. Lens, or, or certainly not past that anyways. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think the first thing is, you know, if you think that Mitchell is definitively more valuable than Rudy Gobert too. You know what I mean? I, I think there's a real case to be made that like Gobert holds, I mean, this isn't just me pandering to our boss who loves Rudy Gobert to death, uh, David Locke, but you know, Gobert holds a lot of value in the NBA. I think maybe more so than what, than what we generally think based off the value of the center position and stuff. You know, it's a multi-time defensive player of the year, well-earned, honestly, I think. And regardless of some of the limitations that you run into with him in the playoffs, like it's not like Mitchell doesn't have his limitations too, particularly on the defensive end with not being able to hold his, you know, end of the bargain up on that end a lot of times, uh, particularly in the playoffs and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that's where things will start with the trade package. Like there's the initial reports that were coming out after the Gobert trade was like, oh, well, considering this is what the Jazz got for Gobert, they're going to want like double that for Mitchell. And that's just unrealistic. Like, you know, it's going to really depend on is Ainge going to be realistic about Mitchell's value or is he going to be, you know, unrealistic and hold this like crazy high standard that no team is going to meet like, like seven first round picks or something. You know what I mean? Like that's just never going to happen. Uh, so I kind of, I'll, I'll be curious to see how things progress with what the trade value is going to be because leverage is another thing too, Gavin, like you said, like what teams are really in the running here? I think it's the Knicks who have positioned themselves pretty well. And like, I'm fully ready with fork in hand to eat some crow. If, uh, if they wind up parlaying all those picks that, they got in the, you know, the super protected picks that they got in the trade out on draft night into, you know, kind of juicing up a trade package to make it look better for Mitchell. Then I'll totally eat crow on that. Like I, and be happy to that, you know, that those picks were able to be used for something really productive. Um, but other than, you know, the Knicks who obviously have the, the asset trove that they do, the heat are rumored to be interested and, their potential package is basically like Tyler Hero, and that's it. Like they have very few picks that they're at any liberty to trade at this moment. Um, and then I, who else would even insert themselves in the conversation, right? Like is Orlando or is OKC or one of these other teams that has like a bunch of assets hanging around going to throw their hat in the ring? At this point, for a Mitchell type player, like, do they think that would actually be a difference maker for them? I don't think OKC does that. I still think OKC's plan is tank for Wembenyama. Like, that's been Presti's like dream and what all this has been building towards. I think you could probably say the same for you know teams like Orlando that were bad last year, and even with a top pick on their team, probably will be bad this year. You know that I don't think that they're going to really like empty the clip right now to go after a Donovan Mitchell. So I think it basically is like a two horse race, unless maybe like Brooklyn inserts themselves in the conversation, tries to turn, you know, a KD deal into a three teamer to get Mitchell back to them, or uh, maybe tries to trade 
Simmons for Mitchell or something, but and try to you know lure KD into staying with them or something. I I don't know. It's it's weird, but I I feel like it basically seems like a two horse race between the Knicks and the Heat, and I I don't know how much leverage the Jazz have in that scenario, considering not too many teams that are involved can even come close to matching the the picks you know the sheer volume of picks that the Knicks can offer and I'll let you respond to that in just a second Gavin in our next segment but first I gotta let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models you guys know it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need how could they possibly fit all those parts in such a tiny little store I don't know how they pull it off but Auto parts stores are always like the smallest possible store uh, when you go into the the brick and mortar locations. And why would you want to endure all the pointless and intimidating questioning and the prices and having to wait for your part and then drive back to the store to go pick it up? It's just not a fun experience. You can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? On top of that, Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer, not just for mechanics. So you know if you go to Rock Auto that you're going to be getting a good deal. So go to rockauto.com right now, and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to place an order, write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, Gavin, I'll throw it to you to uh, open this segment. Uh, you know, how do you feel about that as far as the the Jazz leverage in this scenario? Like, do you think that they have a means to really shake the Knicks down here? Or do you think that the Knicks could sort of find themselves in the driver's seat of this scenario? No, I think uh, two two friends of the show, uh, Jonathan Macri and Prez, in, in in a newsletter and on Twitter respectively, did a really good job breaking this down. And I mean, as you did as well, you you go through basically the rest of the league, and there just isn't an obvious team. I look at someone like Memphis as being theoretically interesting if they wanted to get a big three of their own. Um, and it wouldn't be like in, in some ways it'd be like, well, we just saw the Nets try to do that. It didn't work out. You, you'd have a much younger group in John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Donovan Mitchell. And they just have so much depth that I think they could make the case to themselves like, all right, even if we have to trade a, a Desmond Bain and uh, like one other really valuable young piece like a Brandon Clark and like a bunch of picks. We just have so many good young players that we can we can do that. Um, I don't know if for Utah that would necessarily be more appealing than what the Knicks could offer, where the Knicks could just offer more picks than that. Um, maybe Bain is good enough to justify that kind of deal. Personally, I would rather have Bain than Tyler Hero. So I, I think Memphis, at least in my mind, could be the dark horse here. But they that would bring up a lot of the same questions that the Knicks have, where you look at a backcourt of John Morant and Donovan Mitchell, and you just say, all right, like if we're going all in, we want to be, if not the clear-cut championship favorites, we want to be very much in that stratosphere. And I just don't know if it makes them that much better because as good as they'd be offensively, defensively, I think they'd have a lot of the same questions that Utah did where they have this stud at center in Jaron Jackson, but their backcourt is just going to get scored on over and over and over again unless uh, one of Mitchell or Morant makes a really significant leap. So that, that that is the first team I went to. Miami is obviously the name here as the team that's been reported to have a ton of interest, but 
I don't really see it with Miami where they, where they don't have, um, I, I believe unless I'm way off that they have all their own picks, but they don't have any extra picks unlike the Knicks and the, in, in terms of guys they can actually trade, are they willing to throw Bam Adebayo in that deal? Because I don't think Tyler Hero is enough for me as a centerpiece of that trade, unless you're just sending back an outlandish number of picks. And and on top of Tyler Hero not being a centerpiece, the Knicks have a bunch of like tertiary guys that they could throw in, whether it's a Grimes or a Cam Reddish, who uh, Grimes obviously much more so than Reddish, but if you're the Jazz, should interest you a little bit. I just don't really see those dudes on the Heat roster that you could you could trade for him and say, oh, that guy has enough has a lot of upside. If we're in a rebuilding situation, he could potentially be someone who emerges as a secondary piece for us down the road or someone that we can start this rebuild around. I, I just don't see that dude on Miami. It would take Danny Ainge looking at Tyler Hero and saying, hey, I, I see an all-star. I see a guy who honestly isn't that much worse than Donovan Mitchell. Personally, I don't have Hero in that stratosphere. Maybe Ainge does, but if he doesn't, again, you're talking about a situation where Utah really doesn't have a lot of leverage because I think as time goes along, Mitchell is only going to lose value. You get closer and closer to the end of that contract. You get closer and closer to a scenario where Mitchell publicly asks out. And at that point, it's not really the same thing as Utah, at least right now allegedly trading him from a position of strength where they can at least make the argument of saying, Hey, like if we go back even earlier into Danny Ainge's tenure with the Celtics, we're going to do what we do with Paul Pierce, where they traded Antonio Walker. They traded the core of what was that early two thousands Celtics team that was pretty good and said, even if it takes four or five years, we're going to rebuild around this guy. He's going to be a jazz for life. You get closer and closer to the end of that contract. You get a Donovan Mitchell, who's more and more frustrated, be completely out of the spotlight. I just think the trade package is going to get worse and worse because there just isn't a clear-cut team that's going to desire Donovan Mitchell more at the end of this season than they will right now. Maybe that happens, but it would be kind of a bold bet for Danny Ainge to make. So, Alex, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. I think the question is next, given that, what would the package be that the Knicks would reasonably have to give up to go and get Mitchell? Well, I'll also just say, too, the Heat are, yeah, they're not in a great spot. As far as picks go, they have uh, no second round picks um, of their own going forward from the look of things. And they also still have their first round pick outgoing to Oklahoma City, which right. is uh, in 2025, which is uh, protected one to 14 in 2025 and fully unprotected in 2026, which doesn't super affect their ability to deal picks after that, uh, but it does to some degree. And then they obviously also have their own uh, 2023 pick, which they can include in a deal, which I feel like would not carry so much value because you know that the Heat are going to, you know, they were the number one seed this past year. If they're adding Mitchell essentially just for hero and picks, it, they're still going to be good this year. So I, I don't feel like that pick would carry too much value. Yeah. And that, that was the one thing I forgot to note, like the Knicks are still perceived around the NBA as if not a laughing stock is so far from a sure thing. Their picks are going to be more valuable than I think the vast majority of teams that would trade for Mitchell. And conversely, to your point, Miami, not just in the immediate future, but in the deep future, they're pretty much the gold standard in the NBA of a team that that doesn't lose and never gets bad. So I would argue their picks have maybe less value than any other teams in basketball. Yeah, it would be like them, like Golden State. <laughs> 
Golden State, I guess now, you know, like now the Golden State's out of their like mini tank for a couple years and yeah. uh, you know, Milwaukee maybe. I don't know, like it, it's very hard to find teams that are more consistently like in the playoff mix than the Heat. So I I think you're right. Like I can't think of too many teams that would have less valuable first round picks than them cuz Riley just kind of always finds a way it, even from the scrap heap to put together a at least fringe playoff team uh, every single year along with Spolstra. So um, as, if we're talking about what the package could end up being, I mean, I guess we would have to start with like the Gobert package and build our way from that. Right. Like um, so Gobert, it was, they wound up getting uh, four, first round picks uh that were i think all unprotected i'm actually pulling up the the deal at the moment to see uh what they wound up getting in total but yeah, it was I, like I four five maybe with with the swap I, too i think it was four plus a swap um so you know if if you're building it off of that and then the players that they got which was malik beasley um uh walker kessler and i mean uh, was anyone else yeah, Bomaro, I guess you could count as sort Beverly. of Beverly. Yeah, a useful NBA player. So if you start building off of that, I think you could start looking at like, okay, so what are the veterans that the Knicks would include that could either go to the Jazz or be rerouted? I think Randall obviously comes up like first and foremost. And, you know, would the Jazz have interest in him? I don't know. Uh, but I do think, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is get, LA involved as a third team, uh, the Lakers that is. And it, because they're in a desperate situation, they have Russell Westbrook, who I don't think they have any interest in bringing back next year, making $40 million or 45 or whatever the hell he's making now. If you can offer them an avenue where you could say, all right, we'll send you guys, Julius Randall, Utah, you guys are now clearly trying to tank this year anyway. So would you take back Russell Westbrook and buy him out? Or maybe they even try and do like a Chris Paul thing and, you know, give him the floor and just say, resuscitate your value and we'll try to find a new home for you or something around the deadline. Whatever they want to do, you know, if they're willing to be the place that Russell Westbrook goes, I think you could probably get L.A. to attach some more picks to him, whether it's, you know, fistful of second round picks or, um, you know, maybe one of their I think they could trade 2027 or 2029 with some level of protection on it, you know, maybe they send that to, you know, increase the pick haul for Utah. But I think that's a sensible fit. Other than that, you know, just from salary matching purposes, maybe you start looking at like Derek Rose. And that's certainly a guy I think LA would be interested in too. If it was a three teamer, you know, if they could trade Westbrook plus a first round pick plus, you know, whatever else to get Julius Randle and Derek Rose and try to extend this LeBron and AD title window, a little longer, maybe they do that because um, I don't think that's too high of a price to pay given the upside in their case. And then for the Jazz, you know, obviously they'd be looking at some of the young players on the Knicks. Does that mean Grimes? Does that mean quickly? You know, does that mean Obi Toppin? I, I don't know what their priorities would be, but I would think that at least one of those three would probably have to be outgoing. If I'm looking at it in a vacuum, I would probably prefer Emmanuel quickly to be that guy at this point, just because I think if you're looking at the roster and how it's going to be constructed after this trade is over, you know, do you really want three undersized guards that 
are going to be taking up the majority of your your like one and two guard minutes. I I don't know. I mean, I think it gets a little dicey if you're talking about Brunson, Mitchell, and IQ is getting like basically all of your one and two minutes. You know, maybe you can work in, uh, you know, Deuce McBride a little bit or something, but he's in the same mold. He's also undersized, you know? So it's like, I, I don't know if I would want to bank so hard on having an undersized guard rotation like that. I feel like I would rather, if you could put quickly in, and keep Grimes at this point, even if I don't necessarily think Grimes' ceiling is as high, I think he would be a much better on-court fit and long-term fit with those guys. If it, Obviously, if you make this trade, you're committing to a Brunson and Mitchell backcourt for quite some time. So uh, that's a direction I would potentially look to go. Other than that, you know, I, I think it just comes down to pick haul. And I think you can, on paper, you know, if you're just looking at it as quote-unquote first-round picks, you could beat the um the sheer volume that Minnesota gave up for Gobert and potentially give up like quote unquote five first round picks or something like that. But it's gonna mean, you know, you're trading probably the Washington pick, which is heavily protected for a number of years. You're probably trading the Detroit pick, which is heavily protected for a number of years. Uh the Milwaukee pick, which is top four protected in 2025. And it seems foolish to bet on Milwaukee getting that much worse. Um, and you know, I guess then you could say like 2023 Knicks unprotected, maybe a pick swap in there too. And maybe another first round pick at some the Dallas pick too, probably would go out. So you'd probably be sending like four 2023 picks quote unquote to, uh, Utah for this, but two of which in that Washington and Detroit ones wouldn't be projected to convey for a while. Um, so I think. I think that would probably get it done though. And like, I don't think I would say no to that because honestly, if the Knicks basically just give up their excess of picks with those protected ones, plus like one of their own, they're not even like totally pick barren to where they can't make another deal down the line. Uh, And they're also not youth barren. Like they would still have a number of good young players on the team that could potentially develop. You still have Jokobitis who could come over from Europe and like tear it up and become a good young player for you. So I would pro- like, honestly, if it was quote unquote five first round picks and it was those picks I just mentioned, I would probably be down for it. Um, but Gavin, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. But probably first off, I, I would imagine that our good friends at Bet Online are going to have some odds on where Donovan Mitchell can end up pretty soon. Yeah, maybe maybe start pouring some money on the New York Knicks. The website is betonline.net and they are your number one source for all your betting needs. And sports info, you can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action um, and they have some new odds up for everyone, including the coach of the year, our boy, Tom Thibodeau. Alex, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. He is literally not, oh, he's 50 to one. Sorry. He's 50 to one. So, you know what? If the Knicks go get Donovan Mitchell, they're the two seed. Maybe, maybe throw some money on Tom Thibodeau winning his second coach of the year in three seasons. Once again, the website is betonline.net. Bet online where the game 
starts. And with that, we are back on Locked on Knicks. Alex, I will say my ideal trade for Donovan Mitchell is very, very similar to what you just threw out there. I, I had um, written down here before the show, Emmanuel Quickly, Julius Randle, Cam Reddish, New York Knicks 2023 first round pick unprotected, the 2023 Dallas first round pick, the 2023 Wizards slash Pistons first round picks, which are obviously pretty heavily protected, both quite unlikely to convey in 2023, the top four protected 2025 Bucks first round pick and unprotected, excuse me, 2025 Knicks first round pick and swap rights in 2026 with the New York Knicks for the Utah Jazz. Is that enough? Um, I'm not sure. But to your point in the aggregate, if you're the New York Knicks, you are sending out one, two, three, four, five, six first round picks plus a swap. I would argue that that Wizards and Pistons, uh, those picks combined are the equivalent of basically like one bad first round pick, like one one heat first round pick, essentially, just because they're so unlikely to convey. And there's a world, unless I'm misremembering the protections on those, where they turn into two seconds. Um, I think that Bucks pick is maybe a little bit more valuable than uh, we initially thought on draft night, just because it is a few years off and it is only top four protected. And to your point, I think Julius Randle in that trade essentially functions as someone, if you're Utah, who either from the Lakers or from another team whose value you could really play up in, in a year, like the Jazz can just sort of surround him by guys who are willing to give him the ball and kowtow to him. I have a feeling he'd put up absolutely monster numbers there and would be dealt for another first round pick. Cam Reddish is someone you can rehabilitate and either keep and deal for a first round pick. And Emmanuel quickly, I think is honestly a fantastic young piece to question with quickly, which kind of circles back to uh, Stephen Bondi's reporting around the draft. How much do teams around the league value him? What is the value gap between quickly and hero? Obviously, even though I'm sure you and I would argue that it, it if, if, if it's anything, it shouldn't be very much between those guys. I have a feeling teams around the league value hero significantly higher, but it's possible that Ainge is a general manager that see, that looks at quickly and sees at the very least like a competent starting point guard and someone who has a ceiling for something more. And at that point, I think it becomes a very plausible deal. And again, if you're the New York Knicks, it's sort of the same thing with the with the Kevin Durant saga. You do not have to outdo the Gobert trade, even though just because of the age gap, I would argue Mitchell's the better asset. You don't really have to outdo any other trade. You just have to say, all right, you guys are in a position where it seems like you're ready to let him go. And, and I think these reports from Woj are a good indicator that Utah's not really happy with what the current market is for him. And they want to get blown away. They want that monster offer. If that truly gargantuan deal that just blows you away is not out there, it's very plausible that this is the best that Utah gets. So, Alex, I think that brings us to our final question. How good are the New York Knicks if they acquire Donovan Mitchell only giving up Emmanuel quickly, Julius Randle, and let's say Cam Reddish as the guys who will play for the New York Knicks today if the season started. I mean, I think they'd be pretty good. You know, that's kind of what I was just saying in the last segment. Like, luckily, on the surface, at least, you know, again, I'm I'm in full agreement with you. Like, I don't think, I don't think that the Wizards and Detroit picks are like worth that much that said i still would probably balk at giving up that extra first unprotected first round pick that you did in your proposed deal just because i don't i don't think mitchell is that guy and that would be sort of the issue with this with this trade is are you trading for another guy that's sort of like carmelo anthony in a sense of really good really entertaining is going to give you a higher floor like i think the knicks would have a floor of being a playoff team then uh, you know, even if it's like an eight seed, you know, as long as they stay healthy, 
but you know, is he, is he good enough if you're giving up that much to really bank on being like the franchise savior that I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I think that he's more of a finishing piece than a centerpiece. You know what I'm saying? Like I would want to have someone else in tow. That's like better than Donovan Mitchell already. And maybe RJ Barrett ends up that way. I'm not willing to put a cap on RJ ceiling when he just put up 20 points per game in his third season, you know, and looked down the stretch, like he could actually be an offensive engine for a team with a little bit of refinement. So, you know, maybe RJ turns into that guy and and Mitchell brings out the best in him by taking so much scoring burden off of him while being a little more conducive to, you know, him getting his opportunities on offense more so than what Julius Randle was. Um, so, you know, maybe that raises how good the Knicks could be. But I, I still think they would be pretty deep, you know, even if they if they trade, you know, if it's IQ, Randall and Reddish that go out, Reddish doesn't project to be that super, you know, involved anyway. Um, and like Randall is, you know, he's obviously you're replacing his usage and stuff with with Mitchell. Uh, so that's not and, and you're giving you're elevating Obi, who played so well to end last year. So I think that could actually be a plus because Obi, I think, plays the role better of being a like a third scorer sort of thing in that lineup or even fourth. Now, if you consider Brunson, too, I don't know. I, I would be a bit worried about defense. I think Mitchell Robinson would really have to carry his weight and all that. But I think if the Knicks stayed healthy and the the pick package is more the centerpiece of the Mitchell trade and they still are able to keep a lot of their roster intact. I think even with Tibbs as the coach still, they could probably milk 45 to 50 wins out of the team if, if they really, you know, do as well as they should. Um, because there's a lot of talent on that team, you know, it point blank. I mean, the Knicks would be a really talented team in that case. And if they're well coached and are able to put it together defensively, especially I think they'd be in good shape. So, yeah, I would say I would put their ceiling at like three or four seed or something like that. And I would put their floor as like a low seed playoff team. It, it, it would feel very similar to what the Knicks ceiling and floor sort of used to be in the mellow years to me. Um, and obviously then they would need to make that next level move to take that next step. And I do think they would still have a good deal of ammunition to do that with still a number of good young players on the team and still most of their own picks going forward, even if they blow the surplus stash on Mitchell. So I would feel pretty good about it. You know, I, I, I think that's my main answer. I, I think they could still potentially be a pretty good team um, and have a, at least a high floor, if not necessarily the highest of ceilings. Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, this was a point Prez threw out on Twitter and I agree with it. Look what Tibbs got done to, to Tibbs's credit as much as we ripped the guy with pretty much subpar starting defensive talent the last few years. Top three defense in um, 2021 and your backcourt that year was what it was. It was Alfred Payton and it was RJ Barrett for most of the season. Um, and then last year, I mean, you start Evan Fournier, you start either Alec Burks or Emmanuel Quickly. And can we say definitively that Brunson and Mitchell is dramatically worse than that? I don't know. It, it, it depends on how much Tibbs can motivate Mitchell because we, we've, we've seen it from him. I mean, mostly at the college level, but for flashes in the NBA, I think Mitchell can be at his best an average defender. That doesn't sound like much, but you, you think Brunson is something close to that. 
it's not as much of a disaster as it would be on, on a surface level. Granted, there are guys you go against in matchups in the Eastern Conference, like the Bucks, who are super big, the Celtics that are super big, that you'd have issues guarding. But those teams would also have a heck of a lot of issues guarding the New York Knicks. I mean, you look at the firepower the Knicks would be bringing off the bench with Grimes coming off the bench, with Fournier coming off the bench, Isaiah Hartenstein, who's a who's maybe, maybe not a star, but a really nice offensive center, Deuce McBride, who, who's flashed in summer league, some elite level pull-up shooting. And then that starting lineup, to your point, just one through four. I think you have, you legitimately have four guys in OB, Jalen, Donovan, and um, RJ who can score 20-plus points per game. Uh, and, and what I'm looking at is if, if I want to feel good about this is what Donovan Mitchell did in that 2021 season where he averaged 26 points per game, five assists, four rebounds, shot 44% from the field, 39% from three, 85% from the line. And, and that was a Jazz team where if Mitchell had stayed healthy in the playoffs, who knows? They might have been in the finals that year. I, I think it's fair to question Mitchell's ceiling after what was undeniably a disappointing season a year ago. But Mitchell at his best, like we were talking about him as someone who was in that Jason Tatum range a couple of years back. And I think in an ecosystem where he's happier with ideal surrounding talent in a good defensive infrastructure that Mitchell Robinson has shown he can anchor, if not at a Rudy Gobert level, at something pretty close to that when he's playing at his best. Again, the Knicks were somehow a top three defense down the stretch last season. You're looking at a team that has a ceiling that is maybe just the Eastern Conference Finals, but I don't know. I think with the right series of moves could be a little bit higher than most people think. And the final question is, what is the alternative for the New York Knicks? You just wait this out forever and you hope these young guys uh, make the jump. I've said it over and over again, but at some point you just have to make the swing and this might be the best opportunity for the Knicks. But we'll wrap it up on that, Alex. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. We'll have a whole lot of uh, coverage of Summer League. Our guy, uh, Albert Gim, coming on tomorrow of um, of uh, no ceilings. Um, so we will talk with him about NBA Summer League and so much more. Um, so stay tuned to Locked On Knicks. Until then, be good. Peace out.